wish to experience the amazing event of Christmas. We hope for Christmas to be more than a passing holiday. hope to see Christ as we've never seen him before. We hope to feel his reality as we've never felt him before. We pray that Christmas would be more than another good dinner and a few toys, but it would be a refreshing and a renewal of our souls. And we could say with those who uh, worshipped you so many years ago, uh, uh, unto us a son is born and unto us a king is given. I ask this in hope, in Christ's name, amen. They had waited for this day an entire year. And they met on top of a ziggurat in Babylon at about midnight. They were the smartest men in their culture. They were the kind of men who advised the king they were the kind of men who, in our day, would win Nobel Prizes in science. And they met on that ziggurat and looked south out of the city of Babylon and looked at the night sky. They were watching the elliptic, and they were waiting for the rise of the constellation Pisces. And when Pisces rose in the sky, they waited a little longer. And there was a conjunction that night, a conjunction of Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars in the constellation of Pisces. And these men who had waited an entire year to see if this would happen greeted each other, high-fived each other, and said, this is exactly what we expected. You see, these men believed that you could tell the events that were going to happen on Earth by what was happening in the sky. They were astrologers. And they made up their mind that night that what they saw was a message that in Judea somewhere, a great God king was going to be born. And because they were men of means, they made an arrangement and created a caravan.
and started the 650-mile trip from Babylon to Jerusalem. It must have been a sight to see. And no one Christmas cards, you see three guys and they're wearing fancy clothes. Uh, these guys, an army went with them. They didn't go alone. There was a band of servants who went with them. And they made their way down the, uh, the trade routes uh, to Jerusalem. There were two trade routes that went through Israel. The one that went on the east side of Israel was on the east side of Jordan, and it was called the King's Highway. And the one that went down the west side by the Mediterranean Sea, it was called the Way of the Sea. We're not sure which of these routes they took, but they made their way down the trade route and into the city of Jerusalem. The whole city was a buzz. King Herod was king, and he was a man who had real paranoia problems. You ought to know that in his paranoia, he murdered his first wife and two of her sons. And so he made sure that the Magi were brought before him. And he said, what are you guys doing here? They said, we've come to worship the newborn king. We saw his star in the east. That is the worst possible thing you could have said to Herod. Herod was the king. And he held on to the throne with violence and intimidation. And now these wise men, they're telling him that another king has been born. And they're there to recognize him. 35 years before this happened, the Parthians, who were Persians, invaded Israel. And Herod became king because he helped the Romans drive them off. And now, 35 years later, here is a contingency of uh, the elite of Parthia. And they're telling Herod, we're here to acknowledge a new king. And Herod knows for sure that he didn't have any children lately. And so Herod played his cards shrewdly. He said, oh, how nice of you to come. I want you to go and search carefully. And when you find the new king, come and tell me, and I'll come and worship him too. Uh, and so the caravan left Jerusalem and it made its way south. If you went to Jerusalem today, Bethlehem is a suburb of the city. But that, back then, the city wasn't so big, and it was a little village 
outside of the city. And they made their way into the little village of Bethlehem. By this time, Mary and Joseph were renting a house. They were out of the uh, stable. And they made their way to the little house where Joseph and Mary were renting. And someone knocked on the door. And Joseph answered the door, and you can just imagine his surprise. He said, well, our house isn't big enough for everybody, but I guess some of you can come in. And so the wise men came in, and they offered Jesus Christ treasures. The treasure of gold, a symbol of his royalty. They offered him the treasure of frankincense. The ancient world was a very, very smelly place, and frankincense made things a little more tolerable. It had a beautiful aroma. It was an incense. A symbol of Jesus Christ, the sweet aroma to God. And they offered him myrrh. Myrrh was commonly used as a medicine in the ancient world. They acknowledged that Jesus Christ would be the great physician. And they worshipped the child. You've read this so many times that worshipping the child doesn't strike you as odd. But it was odd. These were elite men from a superpower. They had influence. They had wealth. They were successful in every way that you define success. And of all the places in the world they could have gone, they went to the most shocking place, Bethlehem. Surely there were emperors being born in Rome. Surely there were, great, there were children who would grow up to be great senators being born in Rome. Surely great philosophers were being born in Greece. You could have gone anywhere in the world, in the Mediterranean world, and found a child that was going to grow up to be significant. But of all those children, the wise men chose one. And a child who if you looked on him from the outside, you wouldn't believe that he had very much potential. His dad would never be able to afford to send him to college. He was a common laborer, a builder. But the wise men chose one child, Jesus Christ. And they didn't just choose to pay homage to him as a king. They chose to worship him as a god king. 
in their minds, God had made it clear to them in the most uh, unexpected way that this child was the God King. And so they worshipped him. I ask myself, what was it that they were worshiping in that child? What was it about that child that triggered their impulse to worship? They didn't know who he would grow up to be. They didn't know what he would grow up to do. He was just a child. A child that was cared for by a loving mother and a concerned dad. What did they sense in that child that compelled them to leave their home of comfort, travel 650 miles, kneel before the child, and present such expensive offerings and worship? It is my belief that in that child, they sensed the most loving being that would ever live. You see, Jesus Christ didn't start being loving when he was an adult. There was something intensely loving and lovable about Christ as a child. And when they knelt before him, their hearts were touched by the most loving reality that humanity would ever experience, the love of Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, if there's anything that is worthy of worship in Jesus Christ, it is the purity and the amazing love that he has for you. It is a love that is beyond description. It is a love that cannot be reduced to words. It is a love that is transcendent. I suppose the closest we can get to understanding it is John telling us, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. I tell you, if you're ever going to know the wonder and the majesty of Christ, it will begin when you can experience him as the most loving being that ever existed. What was it that was worthy of worship in that child? What compelled them to worship? It wasn't just that he was the most loving. It was that he was the most gracious. In Jesus Christ, they experienced an overwhelming sense that God was going to treat them better than what they deserved. From that child's little soul radiated a grace that was beyond their comprehension. And they worshipped him because their hearts were overwhelmed by the intense grace of God in Christ. If you're going to worship Jesus Christ this Christmas, you're going to have to sense his grace. You're going to have to let the grace of God touch you in a way that it has never touched you before. 
You're going to have to let the grace of God speak to you in that part of your heart that you keep most covered and most closed. That part of your heart where you've shut away the shameful things of your life. You've shut away the regret, the remorse. You've shut away the things that you don't want to ever remember again, and you pray that some people never find out. If the grace of Jesus Christ could touch that part of your heart today, and you could sense that God treats you better than what you deserve, and that all those things that you've shut away so tightly, he's already forgiven them and he's removed them as far as the east is from the west, your soul will feel compelled to worship him. What was it that the wise men experienced that made them worship? Surely they experienced the most merciful heart of Jesus Christ. Something there was, some, something about the heart of that child flowed out to them and touched them and they felt the riches of divine mercy. For the first, probably for the first time in their life, they had a sense that all is well. God is good. I have nothing to fear. The mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting. If you're going to worship the child, you're going to have to have a new sense of the mercy of God. The psalmist tells us that his mercies are new every morning. I don't know about you, but I can run out of mercy. I can spend my mercy for the day. Ah, uh, one trip to the grocery store, I've spent my mercy for the day. I have uh, overdrawn my account on several occasions, uh, overspent and had nothing left. Do you know in the heart of Jesus Christ, there's never been a moment where he ran out of mercy. There's never been a moment when he said to a soul, you promised me you would never do that again, and you've done it again and again and again and now I don't have any mercy left for you. This is not the heart of Jesus Christ. He is rich in mercy. He never runs out of mercy. And if you could sense the merciful heart of Jesus Christ, the impulse of your heart would be to worship him without, uh, uh, without uh, restraint. What was it? in the child that made them, the, the wise men, have an irresistible impulse to worship him. Truly, it had to be that they sensed in this child the most patient being who ever lived. Surely from the child's heart, the reality of God radiated out, and they sensed a great patience from the heart of God. Oh, what a treasure it is for God to share his patience with us. On how many occasions 
on how many occasions would God have been perfectly just to lose his patience with us? I don't know about you, but with me, it's probably an everyday thing. God has grounds to lose his patience with me every day. But day after day, he finds it in the riches of his heart to extend himself to me in great patience. If you're going to worship Jesus Christ the way he deserves to be worshiped, I'm telling you, you need to let the Holy Spirit touch your soul with the rich patience of Jesus Christ. You need to let the warmth of his deep patience touch your soul in a unique and living way so that in your inner self you say, you confess, it is well with my soul. Why did the wise men worship him? Why did they fall down before him? Why did they let their expensive robes uh, 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 grind on the floor of uh, the dirt floor of uh, the cabin that, uh, that Joseph and Mary were in? They worshipped him because they knew that he was abundant in goodness. There was a goodness in Jesus Christ that could not be found in any other. There was a goodness in who he is. There was a goodness in how he thinks. There was a goodness in how he feels. And the goodness of God radiated through that child in the kind of way that the wise men had to worship him. I wonder if you'll make time in the next couple of days to let the goodness of God wash over you. I wonder if you'll allow yourself to remember the many times that God has been good to you beyond your expectation. I wonder if you'll let go of some of the ugliness of last year and you'll turn your attention to the goodness of God. I wonder if you'll take a minute and remember that the goodness of God has come running after you time and time and time again in your life. I'm certain that these wise men who valued truth and pursued it with the best skills they had I'm certain that they sensed something of the truth of God. John tells us in his gospel that they beheld Christ, and when they beheld Christ, they saw that he was full of goodness and truth, grace and truth. The truth of God is evident in the child. The truth of God that he created a beautiful world. He made all things well. He looked at his work and said, it is good. He created paradise for man and man for paradise. And in our folly and in our selfishness and in our arrogance, we trashed paradise. Ah, but 
God had a truth bigger than our capacity to ruin his world. He had a truth much bigger, and his truth was that he could not only create, he could recreate. And in that child, Jesus Christ, he intended to recreate all of mankind. The truth is that in Jesus Christ, God intends to recreate the human soul. That which is tainted, he intends to make pure. That which is broken, he intends to bind up. That which is weak, he intends to make strong. That which is foolish, he intends to make wise. In Jesus Christ, we see the great truth of God that no matter how much we mess things up, God has a truth that is greater than our failures, and that truth is the recreation of the purpose of God in Jesus Christ. I can't help but feel that as those wise men worship Christ in that house, they had an overwhelming sense of forgiveness. The one who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. I can't help but feel that in their inner self, they felt for the first time absolutely, completely, and totally forgiven. In the presence of the child Christ, forgiveness was an overwhelming reality. If you're going to worship Christ this Christmas in the way that he deserves to be worshiped, you're going to have to let him forgive you. And beyond that, brothers and sisters, you're going to have to do some forgiving yourself. You see, when I kneel before Christ and I ask for his forgiveness, he says to me, as you forgive others, I forgive you. You'll never be able to receive forgiveness if you can't give forgiveness. You'll never know the freedom of forgiveness if you won't give forgiveness yourself. And tragically, because life is this way, as quickly as it started, it was over. They didn't stay there two or three days. They showed up. They met the child. They worshipped him. They gave him offerings. And then they slipped out of that little house. And their caravan started the 650-mile trip back to Babylon. But Matthew tells us, that God warned them not to go back the way they came because Herod didn't want to worship the child at all. And so they went back another way. I believe there is a rich symbolism in that. We come to Jesus Christ one way, but we always leave him another way. Church, we come to Jesus Christ one way. We come in one condition. We come with, with uh, uh, the burdens of our life. 
but after having moments of worshiping in his presence, after offering him the best we have to offer, we get to go home another way. He is at work in us to make us different and better people, to grow us into his own image, to prepare us to dwell with him forever. Christmas is a beautiful time. I'm going to spend a whole bunch of time with my family. I'm going to enjoy my family. I'm going to have ridiculous meals. I'm going to eat a whole bunch of Christmas cookies. But I'm also making time this week to visit the Savior myself. I'm making time this week. I don't have to go 650 miles to find him. But I do have to separate myself. I do have to create some space. I got to find those quiet moments. And in that quiet space and in those quiet moments, it is my intention to worship him, the newborn king. It's my intention to tell him one more time, you are the Lord my God. I find you to be most loving, most gracious, most merciful, most patient, abundant in, abundant in, in goodness and, and truth. And uh, I find uh, the healing forgiveness for my soul in your goodness. It is my intention to worship the one who is worthy of worship. And it is my prayer that that will make Christmas uh, powerful in my soul. And I will go into this new year different than I went into the last new year. Our dear Heavenly Father, I find Jesus Christ to be altogether lovely. Any way I look at him, I see his glory and his majesty. Everywhere I think about him, I find something refreshing in him. My soul is elevated when I think about the wonder of Jesus Christ. And so I pray for myself this morning, and I pray for everyone who is here. I pray that the majesty of Jesus Christ would be compelling to us. And I pray that we would do more than sing the song. We would do the act, and we would come and adore you. And we would worship you in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name, amen.